Let's go now to John chapter 8, and we'll read verses 31 through the end of the chapter. We're continuing our I Am series, and uh, we come to the statement this morning where Jesus just simply said, I Am. And um, there is a whole lot to unpack here, so let's get to work. Verse 31. So Jesus... One second. There we go. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him... If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And they answered him, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? And Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I've seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. And they answered him, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said to them, If you were Abraham's children, you would be doing what Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You're doing what your father did. And they said to him, We were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God, and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You were of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, and he has nothing to do with the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe in me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever's of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. The Jews answered him, Are we not right in saying that you're a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my Father, and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, Now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets, yet you say, If anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died, and the prophets died? Who do you make yourself out to be? And Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, Are you not fifty years old, and you have seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Let's pray together. Father, we need you this morning. We need you to come and to free us from our slavery. 
we are bound by the old man. We are bound by the flesh in so many areas of our lives, and we are completely blinded to those areas. And so we need to be set free, O God, this morning. We need your Spirit to come down and to convict us and to convince us that, yes, we are the man, we are the woman, we are the boy, we are the girl, and we need Jesus. And, O Father, we need faith to believe in Jesus. And we know that through that comes power to lay our lives down for the world. And so, Father, we pray that you would visit us this morning that you would do in and through me what I can't do. Father, you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear the glorious gospel of Jesus. May you be so sweet, Lord Jesus. May your power be so strong that we would bow before you this morning and we would say, here am I, send me. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am. And our text says they picked up stones to throw at him. And we say, what? What? What's the big deal? So what? If somebody walked in here this morning and said, before Abraham was, I am, we would say, go get some help. We would laugh them off. We would kind of put them away. And yet what we have to do is we have to do a little work here. Because we don't understand what's going on in this passage. Because if we work back from the climax of the passage, which is verse 59, then we have to, we have to go back a little bit to understand how they got to the point that they were willing to throw stones at him. Whenever you see a fight break out and you don't understand it, you've got to ask people around, what in the world happened? What's going on? So let's go back. And if we look at verse 48, we see it. Jesus answered them, are we not right, or the Jews answered him, are we not right in saying that you're a Samaritan and have a demon? Woo! And you say, all right. You see what the Jews were doing right there. Notice this is a nationality kind of thing. This is a cultural kind of thing. Are we not right in saying that you're a Samaritan? And not only that, but you're a demon-possessed Samaritan. Folks, as I did the work this week, the only obvious illustration that I could come up with, and that is a white man standing before a black man and calling him a nigger. I tried to get around doing that. But there is no way. (laughs) There's no other word. And they were calling him that and calling... Him a demon-possessed nigger. Now I've got your attention. You see, there was something going down. Jesus was getting close to something that they loved. Jesus was threatening something in them. So much so that they called him the N-word. And then by the end of it, wanted to stone him. They wanted to do an Old Testament lynching on this worthless Samaritan, demon-possessed Samaritan. You see, racism, though we don't understand it in the Bible, though we kind of, we can read through that passage and some people might just skip over it as nothing. Okay, whatever. 
this is something that is very relevant to everybody in this room and to everybody in our culture. You see, the root of all racism is cultural idolatry rooted in the insatiable, unavoidable human need to feel worthy by feeling better than somebody else. That's what's going on here. This guy's a threat, and so they think, okay, what can we do? He's getting close to something that we love too much. He's getting close to our idol, so I know what we'll do. We'll call him. We'll we'll throw the worst racial slur that we can possibly throw at him, and surely that'll shut him up, and it doesn't. And then they think, well, we better kill him. Every culture, every generation, every person is searching for the very thing that the Jews were searching for, namely, value and significance. And once you find whatever it is that you're getting value and significance out of, you can't let anybody else threaten it. You know what the new religion is of our day? It's sex. I mean, you cannot stand up in the public square and tell people who they can sleep with and who they cannot. You cannot tell people that it's wrong for a man to marry another man or a woman to marry another woman or even a man to become a woman. You do that and you are immediately stoned. There's not an intellectual argument that goes on. There is a smear campaign against you. Why? You see, every culture, every generation has some new thing, some new idol, some new thing that instead of God that we lift up and we say, this is it. And you better not question it or we will take you out. And sex is the new religion of our day. But it'll be something else in five years. It'll be something else in ten years. Another idol will come. We, We don't need to be intimidated by that. We need to be self-reflected and be asking, what has our own hearts? How do you find value? Is it your children, Mom? Have you ever had a friend come to you and tell you some bad stuff your child's been doing and you want to kill them? You can't even listen to them. Why? Because your idols are running around the house all day. You ever had somebody tell you that you're doing a bad job at the job that you do and you can't hear them? You know why? Because it's your idol. It's your identity. You know why your spouse can't confront you and point out sin? Because you are your own idol. I was at a tennis match with Rachel one day. She was playing and beating the fool out of this lady. And I was cheering for my wife. And at one point, I wasn't obnoxious. I mean, cheering in tennis is this. Good point. That's all you can do. That's what I was doing. Good point, honey. And this woman it, it came back to the back fence where I was sitting, and she's walking toward me, and I'm thinking, oh, my. And she got to the fence, and she said, will you please stop that? It is so demeaning. I have no one here cheering for me. I said, yes, ma'am. <laughs> Good point, honey. Man, I was, I was hitting an idol. I was hitting an idol. 50-something-year-old woman, poised, East Memphis. Woo! I hit an idol. 
Jesus said this. He said, I am God. I am the I am. I'm not one of them. I am. I'm not one among many. I am. Whose voice do I listen to? Where all this confusion, Jesus says, I am. I don't know what's right. I mean, I'm so confused. Jesus says, I am. I don't know that I can really give my money. I, I, I can't even imagine going to Tanzania. And, and I mean, I'm too entrenched in my life. I'm too old. I have a... Jesus said, I am. And now you're starting to feel a little bit of what the Jews were feeling. You see, if Jesus is not your I am, and He's not for any of us in this room 100%, do you understand that? He's not. I mean, if He were, we would have no financial problems at downtown church. We probably wouldn't even have to have a budget. Now, I know that's not even... Yeah, okay, we need a budget no matter how much money we get. But you get the point. We wouldn't have to ask people to go to Africa. You'd be asking, where can we go? We wouldn't have to say, okay, well, let's start this nonprofit to help children in downtown Memphis read. or let's." You would just do it. And I would just do it. Why don't we? Because we are idol factories. And so we need to see Jesus as the I am this morning. This is not a sermon for those people out there. This is a sermon for you and me. And so let's get to work. The first thing we need to see, and apparently the devil was at work this week because uh, I, I inserted all my notes and it didn't show up. Uh, so you're just going to have to look. We're going to have to go old school this morning. Don't be looking at the screen. You're going to be sorely disappointed, except maybe that picture does something for you. I don't know. Uh, so listen to me and uh, take notes, I guess, if you want to. <clears throat> First point, Jesus is God promises to set you free. If the Son sets you free, you've been free indeed. Whew, it's good news. I heard Brian Loritz preach this week at the Kainos Conference, and he, he, he told the illustration about uh, Kevin Costner at Whitney Houston's um, funeral. Costner got up and told the story. He said when we were shooting, I think it was the bodyguard, um, Whitney Houston was on set and we were ready to film and we couldn't find her. And uh, apparently Costner went to her dressing room and there she was sitting in front of her mirror, staring deeply into the mirror, asking the question, Am I beautiful enough? Are people going to love me enough? 205 million albums sold. And she is still a slave of affirmation. Dear friends, we need to be set free. It's a woman who'd been looking to be set free through her music for a long time and it failed her. The Jews had been looking to be set free through their religion, and they hadn't seen that it failed them. 
And Jesus comes to them and says, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And the Jews respond by saying, We are the offspring of Abraham, and we have never been enslaved to anyone. The Son of God stands before them and says, I can set you free. And you know what they say? We're not slaves. And I guarantee you there are many people in this room right now saying the same thing. I don't need to be set free. I'm free. I can do what I want to do, go where I want to go. I've got the money, I've got the time, I've got the looks, I've got the ability. I am not a slave. When I think about slavery, when I think about you know, you know uh, uh, some, uh, I, I think about somebody in a, a crack house, all strung out on a mattress with no sheet and 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 ashes all around them. And do you know what Jesus is saying? He's, that's not the picture that's coming to his mind. He's not preaching this in a crack house. He is preaching this to the Jews. He's preaching this in the church. <laughs> What came to Jesus' mind were a bunch of religious people. Because religious people are the worst slaves. Good people make the best slaves. Dear friends, we're slaves. I told you a few weeks ago about working through some stuff in my own life, and I continue to unpack that. I heard a speaker this week talk about his daddy issues, said he was a professional football player making a ton of money, taking Dan Marino out on the field and all this stuff, and yet when he looked in the mirror, when he got alone in the locker room, he was dealing with the anger that his dad had never come him watch, never come to see him play one football game. And dear friends, I get that. And I'm having to unpack at 50 years old the reality that I've been living for affirmation, for a little crumb, for a man to kind of drop it over the stage that maybe I can go eat it up on the ground and that will be better to me than the very words of Jesus. (laughs) And dear friends, the only reason I tell you that is because you are exactly the same. Who's your daddy? Who are you looking to to be your daddy? What are you looking to to be your daddy? Maybe some of you say, I had the best daddy. Well, let me tell you something. If you've stopped at that, then he has become the idol in your life. And therefore, you can never do anything but what you know that your earthly daddy would approve of. Some of the biggest men and women that I've met are living according to the reality that their father was so good and this is what he wanted them to do with their lives. It's not what God has called them to do. It's not what He wants to do in their life. But they're living up to what their good earthly father had planned for their lives. And let me tell you something. The only role of a father is to image and to point to the one true father, and that's God. He is the one that calls the shots. He is the father that tells us what to do and where to go and how to act. The earthly father is just there to kind of image that and kind of translate it a little bit and, and help us feel it. And But who's your daddy? Is it your work? Who's your daddy? Is it your looks? Is it your abilities? Is it your brain? Is it your body? Is it the control you have over men? Is it the control you have over women? What is it? Jesus said, I can set you free, but you've got to be willing to be set free. 
You see, when Jesus said, I am the I am, he's going back to Exodus 3. And in Exodus 3, we read this. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, people in slavery, and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to, and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey. God looks down, and he sees that his children are enslaved in Egypt, and he says, I'm going to go down to free them. And so he comes to Moses in the burning bush, and he says, Moses, look, I know you're running from Egypt, but I want you to turn around and go back and tell my people, people that I'm going to set them free and that they need to follow me out of Egypt. And he says, whoa, who are you talking about? I can't do that. I mean, who am I to tell them sent me? And he says this, you tell them that I am sent you. You see, the prophets of old talk about the I am coming, the day of the Lord, the time when the Messiah will come and he will free the captives. And so Jesus stands among them, and what does he say? He says this. If I can find it. They ask him, who do you make yourself out to be? And he says, man, let me find it. I'm sorry. Here it is. Verse 56. Your father Abraham rejoiced. Your father Abraham rejoiced. That he would see my day. Do you see what Jesus is doing? The, the Jews are waiting for the Lord to come, for the Messiah to come. They are waiting for the day of the Lord, and he tells them, That day has come, and I'm standing in your midst. And dear friends, that day is now. Do you believe that Jesus can set you free? Do you believe that Jesus can set you free? See, what do the Jews need to be set free from? They needed to be set free from thinking that they were good on the basis of the fact that they were Abraham's children. They were about religion, not about Christianity. You see, they were all about themselves. And religion makes us proud of what we have done, but Christianity makes us proud of what Jesus has done. But here's the reality. When we are simply sitting still saying, I am God's chosen person, He favors me, He's predestined me from um, the creation of the world, and I'm His child. And it's my knowledge of that truth that makes me feel good about me. Then we are no good to anybody. But when that is a reality in your life, I am God's chosen person. I, the one that have turned my back on Him at every point, the one that has lived this heinous life, and yet God has plucked me out. He has chosen me. He's adopted me to be His His son or daughter. When that's a living reality in our lives, then we become some good to somebody else. I've seen this in my own life. I've gone from dead orthodoxy some 30 years ago where I believed all the right things and I could tell you what all the old theologians said about all the right things, but it hadn't gotten deep in my heart. And then God showed me that I was the one He was talking about in all that theology. 
And I was liberated. I was set free. And then I just kind of basked in that freedom for a long time. And then I realized, now wait a minute. He has set me free that I might go and let other people know that they can be set free too. You see, the Jews are sitting there. They are no good to nobody. The poor are not being fed. The poor are not being clothed. The justice issues of the day, like education, are not being addressed. Why? Because it's all about them. How in the world, dear friends, are we the poorest city in the country with 3,000 churches? It's because we have been just like the Jews. And we have said, we are God's chosen people. And we come to church and we relish in the reality that we are God's chosen people. And the city suffers. And God says, you are of your father the devil because you don't do the works that Abraham did. Do you see it? What is Jesus about? Jesus is about Matthew 11. When Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in their cities. He's teaching and preaching the gospel. Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered him, Just listen to the great theology of this CD. Here, take this to John in prison. I want him to hear this amazing sermon that I preach, where I quote all the reformers and I... No. This is what he said. Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up. And listen, and the poor have good news preached to them. And then he says this, I love it, and blessed is the one who's not offended by that. Who's not offended by me. Do you know why the religious person is not willing to go to the needy and the poor Why the thought of going to live in whatever you have to live in, to live in Tanzania? Why that's not even a thought, oh, I'll write a check, let's do a car wash, but I'm not going. Why is that? Because it costs you something. Something I realized growing up. You can drive your car to church... You can be there early. You can make the coffee. You can go to Sunday school. You can go to the service. You can go to church that night. You can go to Wednesday night service. And you can not know Jesus and Him never really penetrate your heart. And the way you know is because you don't love anybody. Because religion has made you proud of who you are. But you've never tasted Christianity that makes you proud of what Jesus has done. Dear friends, Jesus wants to set us free that we might be sons and daughters of the King. And Jesus wants to set us free that we might find real obedience. There's a lot of talk in here about you're not a child of the you know you, you're not a, you, you're Abraham you're not really Abraham's children because you didn't do what uh, what Abraham did you didn't do the deeds of Abraham and you know no you're you're of your your father the devil a lot of talk about father son daughter you know obedience and who you're obeying and all this kind of stuff well 
the whole point of this is exclusivity. Jesus is saying, I am the one true way. He is looking at the Jews and they get it. And he's saying, Jews, your religion is wrong. Did you hear me? Your religion is wrong. They heard him. They wanted to kill him. Modern people cannot handle a religion saying that they are the exclusive truth. But it's been going on for years. And you know, it's so interesting. We think that it's so progressive to, uh, to be inclusive. But to be inclusive is just intellectually, number one, intellectually very shallow. Because the, the, the major religions will tell you there can only be one way that, uh, that Buddhism and Christianity and, and, and Islam are not compatible. If we had three, if we had an honest Christian, an honest uh, Islamic person, and an honest Buddhist, and we all stood up here, there is no way there's one way. Oh, well, what about the elephant? We're all just... T- no. That's an arrogant proposition that we're all just kind of, you know, we're, we're kind of reaching in, we're just feeling different parts of the elephant. The elephant, the only way, and some of you are saying, what is he talking about? Well, for the three people that know what I'm talking about, that have heard that argument, that all paths lead to heaven and all religions are the same, the only way you can make that statement is if you are above all the religions. That's even a more arrogant statement. Oh, so who, may, who lets you see uh, the elephant? I mean, do you see that? That's an even more arrogant claim than one of the religions saying they are true. It's either someone's right or someone's wrong or nothing. That's the reality. And what Jesus is saying is, I am right. Now, that sounds awfully arrogant, doesn't it? But here's the difference. Jesus wasn't arrogant. Mohammed didn't claim that he was the one true God. That is heresy in Islam. No other leader of a major religion ever claimed to be God. Jesus is the only one who claims to be God. We talked about this last week. They all other claim to be the moon that, that reflects the sun. And yet... If we look at some of the people in, in, in just modern history that claim to be God, we call them egomaniac cult leaders, like David Koresh, who said, follow me. He didn't lay his life down for his people. He allowed his people to die. He was an egocentric narcissist. And yet this is what Jesus said. Or this is how the Scriptures describe Jesus. Jesus being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, he humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. You see, the cross is the center of Christianity. And what that tells us is this. Jesus didn't save us that we might win arguments. Jesus didn't save us that we might feel superior to other people. 
Jesus saved us that we might love the world unto death because we know they can kill us, but we will rise again. Do you understand the tactic here? As I watch the debate between the church and between Christians and um, the sexes religion community, and I see the fighting that is going on, I say that doesn't smell like the cross. Jesus himself said, I didn't come to condemn, I didn't come to judge, but to die, to give my life a ransom for many. Do you know how Christianity has advanced through the ages? It is not through apologetic arguments. It's not through convincing your neighbor through intellectual terms, but it's by being a neighbor that lays their life down for their other neighbor. Do you know how we're going to win this community? It's not in City Hall. It's not in the House of Representatives in Nashville. It's not in Washington. It's every day as we go out and we image the cross of Christ and we lay our lives down for our neighbor and we make career choices and we make choices with our money and we make choices about where we live and who we live among. We make choices regarding who we invite to our dinner table. It's not just people that are going um, to somehow profit me, but it's going to be those that no one else is inviting to their dinner table. It's going to be missional. It's going to be loving. Why? Because that's what God has done for you and me. And if that is my reality, then it must be fleshed out in my life. It must be seen. It's not just some hypothetical thing that sits on a shelf until judgment day and we say, oh, wait a minute, God. All right, yeah, here it is. Oh, here we go. Here we go. Uh, I believe in Jesus and my sins are forgiven and you can't send me to hell. But that's what the gospel has been for way too long. Now let's get back around to the I am. Jesus being the one true God means that you can go out and die and He's powerful enough to sustain you. Do you hear that? Jesus, if He is the one true God, if He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords, if all the other gods bow down before Him, then surely you can go out in your little world and you can give yourself in your community or you can go to Tanzania or you can go to India or you can go to wherever God calls you in the world and you can lay your life down and you can sacrifice the things that that we so want to bow down to. Why? Because God is powerful enough To sustain you. Now let me ask you this. Are you doing anything in your life that demands that the I am sustain you? If not, you're living too small of a life. If the I am is your God, there is nothing you can't do. And even if they kill you, do you understand? They can't really kill you. They just take you to heaven and make you perfect and get you out of this mess. Do you understand that? What are you doing in your life? How are you having to depend on God that demands that He be the I Am and not just one among many? That's what He invites you to as His son and daughter. He's a daddy who sits there ruling over the universe. And He says, do something big. Do something where you don't even have to be noticed. Do you know this couple... Man, they've had a big impact on me. The majority of the time, what they do, nobody sees. 
30 years in Africa. 30 years of teaching people how to read. They had to believe every second of every day that Jesus is not one among many, but he's the I Am. Our brothers and sisters in India right now, they've got to believe that Jesus is the I Am and not just one among many. They've got to believe that God is at work. They've got to believe that what's happened in Nepal, what, what, what's going on around them, they've come to preach good news, and I guarantee you believers have died, and they're wondering, oh my, what does this do for our message? How does this help us? And they've lost house or home and, and children and parents. If they don't believe that He is the I Am and He's powerful enough to sustain them and He's powerful enough to rule even over that, then they might as well just pack up and come home and live like the rest of us. Do you see it? For you, it may be staying in your marriage because I am is your husband or your spouse. For you, it may be facing an addiction in your life that is just too big and you keep going back to it. I am is big enough. For you, it may be moving somewhere. For you, it may be staying here. Whatever it is, the I am is your God if He's your God and He can sustain whatever He's called you to do. And so the greatest news that we have is that Jesus is the I Am. Oh, dear friends, do you know that Jesus? Do you know that Jesus where you can put the top down and you can ride in a hurricane because He is the I Am? Have you ever conquered fear in your life? Dear friends, hear that Jesus is the I Am. What a great God we have, friends. May Memphis know that Jesus is the I Am because this little church in downtown believes it and starts loving people in ways that there's no other, no other explanation. We start doing some stuff with our lives. We start giving ourselves away. We start loving some people that even Christians will look at us and think, man, you can't... Really? May the world look at downtown church and do that. May they look at downtown church and say, really? Because of how we love and how we give ourselves away. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you have died for our sins. We thank you that you have risen from the tomb. We know that your heart is for the broken and the hurting. We know that you are the God of the nations. And so we pray this morning that you would pour out your power on this world through the gospel that many might know. That hundreds of thousands of people, that millions of people, that a few billion people would hear that Jesus is the I Am. And that they would bow their knee and that they would find life today, and they would be freed from their idols. Father, there are many who didn't just have a physical earthquake, earthquake in India this last couple of days, but they have experienced the very shaking of the foundation of their faith. Would you show them Jesus? As they see their little temple crumbled down, I pray that you would bring the light of the glory of Christ in their eyes and in their hearts to understand that Jesus has not crumbled down. That the only time he did, he was raised and he is exalted on high. 
Oh God, would you save the world? Would you go to the nations? Would you use us to do it? Father, be with our brother and sister here this morning. I pray that maybe if they came in here feeling isolated and alone and trying to have five minutes to convince a people to do the impossible, I pray that you would encourage their souls that you would give them great encouragement in their time here at Downtown Church and in Memphis, and that they might even take some of us back with them. God, do something mighty in Tanzania. Thank you so much for what you've already done. If it was just them, there'd be nine schools, but they're 30-something. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Build your church around the world. Be with the persecuted church, Lord God. Help those that face death this morning for your name to know that though they die, they go right to the very presence of Jesus and there is no way that they die. But they only find life. May the church bear up under the persecution and may the seed of the gospel spread like wildfire in the Middle East and Africa and India and all around the world because you are the I Am and you are powerful enough to do it. And we need you to do it. Get glory for Jesus. We give our hearts to you now. In Jesus' name, amen.